going to talk about tonight will get you to heaven. And if that's not true, I need to know about that because I'm going to go on from here and I'm going to keep saying these things until somebody demonstrates that they're not what God said. It is my confidence at this point, this is what God is teaching us and these are the things that we need to know. So I'm going to stick with that. Now, I encourage you to join with me. We're going to look in James, the third chapter. I'd like to say I'm so glad to see this lovely couple here. Before there was any awareness of uh, Forrest Gump in my life, this is peas and carrots. These are the ones that I was thinking of. You know, a lovely girl named Jenny connected to a, a Steve. So, you know. Great. So great, great to see them. <laughs> he said out here, he said, he used to be, I was like, he used to be short. I was never, <laughs> never little. Let's talk about the practical aspects. Does this go off? Is it? No. Now I bet it works. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> James is all about practicality. It is so chock full of the nuts and bolts of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And really it is centered around the idea that maturity is your goal. You're never going to be perfect, but you can grow in maturity from one season to the next of your life. You can improve every day if you want to. And the, the nuts and bolts of this are the things that you need, the tools it takes to build you up in Christ. And so James, who's writing really very early compared to a lot of the other books of the New Testament, is talking about a wheels on the ground, just where the rubber hits the road, practical nitty-gritty things. Maturity is what you're looking for. That's the real point. And over and over again, this wisdom literature of the New Testament tells us that the pursuit of wisdom and all the things that we do is the key to obtaining that wisdom. Instead of thinking like people, instead of thinking like all the folks around us, we need to learn to think like Jesus. We need to learn to think like God. And that takes a little bit of practice. And so tonight we're going to talk about what is probably as painful for me as it is for anybody in this room. We're going to talk about the mouth. The mouth gives so many opportunities for trouble. You are said by researchers to speak a full fifth of your life. A full fifth of your life you spend speaking. Are you shocked at that number? I was shocked. My wife looked at me and said, no surprises here. That certainly was a statistic developed for me. Now here's, here's where it really gets interesting. If you're a man, they say that you will use between 10 and 20,000 words a day. If you're a woman, they say you use at least 25 to 35,000 words a day. Women do tend to be a little more conversant. In one year's time, you will say enough words that you will have created 66 books that are 800 pages each. Now that means there are a lot of opportunities for you to mess things up. There is nothing that has created more problems than the tongue. There's never been a more vicious and difficult thing to manage than the tongue. And that's almost exactly what James begins by telling us. There's tremendous 
opportunity for failure when you speak as often as we speak. But James is not satisfied to leave it there. He says too, whatever is powerful for evil can be used as a power for good. And the same thing is true. It just sort of depends on what it is you use your tongue for. So let's read in chapter 3. We're going to read down uh, all to verse 12. And then we're going to pick up the rest of that before we're finished tonight. James 3, starting with me, verse 1. How does he start? My brethren, we're all in the same boat. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. Also able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and they're driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among the members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and creature of the sea, it's tamed, has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse men who've been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh James is telling us that you need to be careful and I need to be careful about the tongue because of all the things that it can do. And he begins by saying, the first problem is the tongue is is like a rudder. It's the thing that directs me. It's going to send me on the course that I take. Words are significant. Words mean things. Words can be used to move people, to hurt people. It's really kind of up to you how to use them, but they are powerful, and there's no doubting that. What I talk about is what my life is about. Now, that is where we're going to get into the first practical issue. I don't know if you've ever come to church before and experienced this, but I've seen this happen a few times. You get in together with a bunch of Christians, really good, fine people, And those people sit around before services and after services and they talk about everything but Jesus. Everything but the book. Everything but worship. Everything but spiritual matters. We talk about sports scores. We talk about stock markets. We talk about success or failure of the current political parties. We talk about all kinds of stuff, but we don't always talk about the things that we've come here to talk about collectively. Now, there's all kinds of theories as to why that is. But the point is, James is telling us, we are whatever we talk about. Now, we may like to think that we're very spiritually minded people, but whatever you talk about the most, that is, friend, that is what you think most about yourself. That is the thing you identify most as your thing. So if you talk about UK basketball more than you talk about anything else, guess what? You're a UK fan. That's the one thing. 
If you talk about Republican versus Democrat, you're a political person. That's what you are. No matter what you do for a living, no matter what else you might be interested in, if that's what takes up the bulk of your time. So why is it that we don't talk more about Jesus? We say we are first and foremost what? Christians. We're first and foremost, we're disciples. First and foremost, that's the one thing, that's the way we all identify, no matter how different we might be. We're all disciples of Jesus Christ. How often do we talk about Him? To each other, to other people who don't know about Him. My tongue directs me. Do you see what he's saying here? If I speak about Jesus, you know who I'm going to be thinking about? Oh, now we've got it, don't we? My tongue is the thing that directs my life because I let it do that. Your, your tongue doesn't seem like a very big thing. But a few years ago, I read something that was fascinating. Do you know the second most dense muscle tissue in your body? You know where that is? The second most? Your calves. You ever notice how hard your calves are? Even if you're a big fat guy like me, my calves are rock solid. They're very dense, and they can be built up really fast. You can, if you really want to impress folks, work on them calves. Just, just do this. And you'll have that big bifurcated, big knot on both sides, and people will be like, wow, your calves. You didn't skip leg day, bud. So that's the second most dense muscle tissue in your body. You know what the first dense, the first most dense muscle tissue mass in your body? Right there. If your thighs were made of the density of muscle tissue that your tongue is, you could jump over this church building, flat-footed. Won't be too long. They'll be running that two-minute race that Louisville is wrapped up for two weeks about. And there's tiny little guys be riding on these great big thoroughbreds. Is there any confusion in your mind as to who's in charge when you watch the horses run? Oh, he may be real little compared to that horse, and that horse may be pretty fierce. And if, frankly, if you get him down off that horse and it's just him and that horse in that stable, we might find out who's in charge, you know what I mean? That horse may mess him up. But on that horse, on that racetrack, who's in charge? That teeny tiny little jockey. And the same thing is true. You know, the Queen Mary too, the anchor of that ship, weighs more than 10 of the cars out here. Just the anchor. And comparatively, the rudder on that ship is a tiny little thing. Now, it is, it's, as, it's as long as this building, but it's small compared to the rest of the ship. He says, that's your tongue. Within it is contained this tremendous amount of potential, and within it is you running your life. Have you ever talked yourself into trouble? I will tell you, I've talked myself into trouble a whole lot more often than I've talked myself out of it. And that's where I end up because those are the kinds of things that I talk about. My tongue has the potential to destroy things. The, the comparison he says here is a forest fire. And he talks about, he says, a lush old growth forest can be leveled by one careless camper, by one bolt of lightning in a dry season. It'll set that whole thing on fire. And what he compares that to here particularly is the fire that comes from hell. The kind of destruction. So let me tell you who doesn't care if you are careful with your tongue or not. You know who doesn't care? You know who wants you to just run off of the mouth, just say whatever you want and just say it as often as you can? You know who wants you to do that? The devil wants that. He loves that because he's intent on setting the whole course of your nature on fire with the hell fire. 
with the destructive power of that. Now let me tell you something else that's very interesting that James does not talk about, but he does see, he does talk about it. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, social media, Snapchat, all of those things. That's you revealing what's going on up here using a metaphor, an idiom of your tongue. It's a version of that. That's you communicating with people. And now you have the opportunity to literally globalize the destruction that is in the potential of your tongue. You can say things to people you'll never meet. And it can be for good or it can be for evil. And he says the tongue has the great power to destroy. He also says in this that the tongue really demonstrates who I am. It reveals my true character, what's on the inside. You know, those inconsistencies cannot exist. You see what he says here about the spring. It can't pour forth both bitter and fresh. It's inappropriate for us to be the kind of people who can curse men and bless God. Those, those two things can't live together. And so what's the conclusion? Well, the conclusion is only one of those is really us. So let me ask you a question. All you sweet folks, you nice people, scrubbed and tubbed, ties and dresses, the whole nine yards. We're all real sweet and real nice in here. We like each other. We're getting along. Everything's going really good. And we leave here and we go out on New Circle Road. We get out towards Lexington and the traffic gets bad and all of a sudden we're like, get out of my way, you idiot. What's wrong with you? No one touch you to drive. You get your license at Kmart. Ah! Which are you really? Are you the person who is nice here? Are you the person who's Mr. Hyde out on the road? And we say, well, I don't know why I do things like that. That's, I'm just not myself. No, that's exactly the problem. You're precisely yourself. And that is what James is getting at. The things that come out of us that we don't like, that we say, well, I'm just not feeling myself. That's just not me. I didn't mean that. You know, that's not, I didn't really mean it. Yeah, you did. You did mean that. And it was a terrible thing that you thought. You should ask for forgiveness, but don't pretend like that didn't exist inside you. The reason it escaped in your mouth, the reason it came out in your behavior, the reason it came out at all, it's because it started inside you. And what James is telling us is, like, you got to be careful about your tongue, not because it controls who you are, it demonstrates who you are. It tells you things. You're telling on yourself all the time. And sometimes that's the best clue you could get as to where you need to start in your growth. Where does my maturity need to be directed? What effort do I need to pour into what? Because your tongue tells you something. Just about what it is you need to do. And so essentially what he's saying, if you get down to verse 11 and 12, if I've got a tongue problem, I'm looking in the wrong place in my anatomy to solve the issue. I'm always fascinated when people use the phrase adult language or adult situation. And people think say words in, a, in adult circumstances that children should not hear. And we, we talk about those things. And we say, well, that's a, those are grown-up words. What they are is dirty words. What they are is filthy. What they are are manifestations of the lesser demons that tempt us to do things we shouldn't do. That's what those words are. 
We can rationalize those things and talk them away. But what I don't understand is why are we delaying letting children use that kind of language? Why do we act like it's okay for adults to talk like that? Don't talk like that in front of the kids. What difference does it make? If you, that's what you are, why shouldn't the kids see that? And see, it's because we all know it's not good. It's not good. It's not the best of us. It's not, it doesn't manifest good things about the way we think or how we feel. It's not good. And so we're like, well, we'd like to keep the kids innocent for a while. Why don't we want to stay innocent for a while? Why don't we try to preserve some of that naivety? Why don't we try to preserve the purity and the innocence and the goodness with which we were made and into which we were born? Why don't we do that for us? He's telling us, if you've got a tongue problem, if you speak too fast, too much, too dirty, you're looking in the wrong area. Go a little deeper. It's between your ears. The organ you really need to work on is the head your brain, your thinking. What the, br- the brain is sometimes referred to as the heart. Because here's the deal. If a person speaks in a harsh way, do you know why that is? Because they have an angry heart. If a person speaks in a boastful way, do you know why that is? It's because they have an insecure heart. If a person speaks in a way where it's just rattling and babbling. you ever known somebody who manages to use lots of words but never say anything? That's an indication of an unstable heart. That's somebody who's not really sure what direction they're supposed to be going in or where their loyalty should lie. If you've got a filthy tongue, it's because you've got a dirty heart. If you've got a critical tongue, it's because you've got a bitter heart. Y'all starting to catch the drift of that? And what he's telling us is the tongue is revealing the character flaws that need attention. If you'll go back and review the things you say, or if you'll ask one of your loved ones about the things that you say, did that hurt you? How did that hurt you? Why would that hurt you? You'll start finding out things about yourself that you need to know that have more to do with your heart than they do with your tongue. I'm just going to tell you something. Nobody's born cussing. Nobody's born being overly critical or hypercritical of other people. No one's born gossiping. No one's born saying terrible things about other people. We all learn how to do all those terrible things with our mouths. Do you know what that means? Whatever can be learned can be unlearned. Again, I said it this morning, and I stand by it. When someone says something nasty, or they're being inconsiderate or rude or just unkind, and then they excuse that by saying, well, I'm sorry, it's true, that's just the way I am. The way you am is broke if that's just the way you am. And you can fix that. You can fix whatever is wrong with you. We've got a belief in our culture that somehow I say true things and even if they're harmful or they're inconsiderate, somehow it's noble that I told you that because it's true. We've also, it's getting worse too. In the era where the selfie is the new form of expression for young people. We've got a whole generation of people coming up who think we owe it to them to listen to every thought they've ever had. If you think it, you should say it. It may be pure gold. After all, you're an artist. Everybody is. If you watch Disney and, and Nickelodeon, you, you know, surely, everybody's supposed to follow their dream. Can, 
nobody can be a plumber anymore. Nobody dreams of being a plumber. Everybody has to be an artist of some kind. And it's in that environment that we're telling people, just speak whatever is on your mind. You say whatever you think. Just because you think it, that's no reason you should say it. And that, that actually is getting to the point that we're, we're going to talk about here. So what is it that James would recommend? I'm going to suggest just a handful of things. Number one, you're going to have to clean your heart up. You're going to have to get in there and start digging around and rooting. When, when you're pursuing maturity, when it is that you want to become something more than you were, you've got to start looking in the nooks and the crannies, the places that have had no attention before, the places that don't get deep cleaned. You know, by coming to church on a regular basis, we get light cleanings all the time. You know that, right? We dust off the surface of everything just like you would on a, on a regular weekly basis. You go through your house and you knock that top layer of dust off. But every once in a while, it's time to move the couch away from the wall. Every once in a while, it's time to take all the pictures off the mantle. Every once in a while, it's time to turn the mattress. And boy, what a disturbing experience that is. When's the last time you moved your, your couch away from the wall? To find out that something is dead back there and it was made completely of dust and that a mouse has set up, I guess, a public toilet back there. I don't know what it was. <laughs> to find that, it's disturbing. And if you don't move that stuff out, if you don't move all that stuff around, you don't start looking around, that's us. That's us. We're all the time comparing ourselves to each other and say, well, I'm in better shape than he is. I'm not as bad off as she is. I don't have that problem. I don't talk like that. At least I don't. And I'm not as bad as. All we're doing is walking around just knocking a little dust off the surface of things. That's all we're doing. And what James is telling us is get in there to where the problem is and fix it. Quit, quit quitting a, a coat of paint on everything and acting like it's okay. So here we come into church. Like, hey, brother, how you doing? How you doing? Oh, it's good to see you. Oh, sister, that's, that's a nice dress. Look at you. Oh, hey, man, you, you know, all right. How about them cats? What's going on with politics? Our president's insane. And so you just keep going on about all the things that you see and witness and talk about. And everybody looks at you and they say, well, you know, Phil, look, he's, you know, just old Phil. And 10 minutes earlier, you're having the knockdown, drag out fight of your life with your spouse in that car. Come in here and act like everything's just fine. Why do we do that? Why do we feel like we have to put on shows for other people? Who is more offended at our hypocrisy than God? Listen, I'm 47. I don't care what you think about me. I'd like for you to like me because I think that makes it possible for us to work together in a way that opens God's word for all of us. But if you don't like me, it is no yeast off my bread, friends. If God don't like me, I've got a real problem. If God's upset with me, I've got a real problem. I figure it's like this, though. Since we're family, if God's okay with me and God's okay with you, I will learn to like you. You all familiar with Brother Gary Sandusky? Y'all know Brother Gary? You ever heard him talking about barbecue potato chips? When he first started wanting to go out with his wife, Diane, he found out she liked barbecue potato chips. And he was over there trying to court her. And she got out a bag of barbecue potato chips and she opened those things up and she offered 
Gary, and he hated barbecue potato chips. But because this pretty girl was sitting next to him, she liked barbecue potato chips. He's like, oh, thank you. And he ate it. The next time he went over there, he ate another one. Then after a while, he just got to eating a lot of them. And, and to this day, as far as I know, if Gary Sandusky comes to your house, you better have a bag of barbecue potato chips. Because she loved them, he learned to love them. And that's the church. And us pretending like everything's okay when it's not. That's us building up walls of protection and pretending like we don't need things from each other and pretending like everything's okay when it's not really okay. Listen, that kind of disingenuousness doesn't belong in the church. God killed two people for that. In Acts the 5th chapter. He killed two people for their disingenuous in the presence of the church. We should just be open with each other. We should just be very forthcoming about the truth of these things because I need you to help me get better. I don't need you to reaffirm that everything looks okay on the outside. My brother worked, works at UPS and he took me in an open house when I was about 13 or 14 years old. And I went in this place and everything was beautiful. Everything was shiny. I said, Rob, I had no idea this place was so brand new. He goes, Phil, nothing here is new. The week before open house, they come through with paint. They paint everything. He says, that, that tug right there, a bright yellow, shiny tug with a brand new looking brand. He, they painted those tires glossy black. Painted them. He said, it hasn't moved in two years. Does that not sound like us a little bit? So between the things we say that aren't really valid or even good and the things we don't say that we should, he says, clean your heart. Get inside there and start messing around and all of that and get some of the stuff out that's going to be poisonous and difficult. The modern religious world sometimes likes to demonstrate that they know God because they can speak in tongues. You know what would be a more powerful demonstration that you know God? If you could just control the tongue that you have. Think before you speak. This would be a good time, I think, for us to read the rest of this chapter, starting verse 13. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast, lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual demonic for where envy and self-seeking exist confusion and every evil thing are there but wisdom is excuse me wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable gentle willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace think before you speak did you know you can think a whole lot faster than you can talk? Every once in a while someone will say, Phil, you're reading too fast, you're talking too fast. You can hear eight times faster than I can talk. You can handle it. It'll be okay. And you can think a whole lot faster. And so there's, a, there's an old adage, and I know this guy here knows it, I'm sure he knows it. You measure twice. You cut once. And you learn that by wasting wood. You learn that by destroying things and having to go back to the lumberyard because you just cut your last tuba tin 
and you cut it a half inch too short, now you can't use it for the one thing you were going to get done today. And the same principle is true with your mouth. Measure twice. If you think about it, you say, I don't know if this should be said. And then you go ahead and say it. You're going to run out of friends pretty quick. Measure twice. Think again. Rethink your drink. Re-examine that. Don't be so eager, eager to speak. The power of language. It can start wars or romances. It can cause problems and it can create solutions. Words. Accidentally spoken, carelessly spoken, almost never solve anything. Almost never fix anything. Think. And then consider that you're going to be judged for the things that you say. For every idle word, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, men must give account. Judgment is going to be based so much upon the things that we say if a whole fifth of your life is involved in speech. And Jesus himself says that we're going to be judged by his words. That's how important these words are. And that includes, of course, your deeds and the connections to those things. So let's talk about this idea of wisdom. All the things that you do and all the things you say come from seeds of thought. And there's a huge difference between being wise and just being. And here in verse 13, the New American Standard says, Let him show by his conduct, his behavior and deeds, and a gentleness of wisdom. There's a difference between acting in wisdom and acting without wisdom. And it's a choice. Wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. Perhaps you've heard that definition before. There is another sense in which what wisdom is, is to be able to see while you're standing at the beginning of something, how it's going to end. And to project into that future and say, well, I, in, in order to get that result, in order to know this is where I want to end up, I'm going to have to do this and then this and then this and then this. That also means I have to say this here. I can't say that. I mustn't say this, but I do need to say this, and I need to say this to this person, I need to say this to that person, and these are the things I've got to do. But most of the time, we are just reacting. We're so busy. Everything, all of us are so busy, and we're all so important. We have to take phone calls immediately. You've got to answer every text right away. Every email needs an answer yesterday. And people, they talk like that, like, and, and it's flattery to think that you're that important. I've got bad news for all of us. None of us is super important. We're all just average folks. We're just living lives. There's only one person to whom you are as important as you think you are, and that's God. He's the only person who really thinks you're that important. And he proved it about 2,000 years ago through the greatest demonstration that anyone's ever given that anybody mattered. But the truth of the matter is, you don't have to speak. You don't have to do. You don't have to react to things. You don't have to. You can. We do. But you don't have to. Well, the best advice that anybody's ever given me about anything is when you're interested in buying something, never buy it when you first look at it. Someone says, what does it take to get you in this car today? You say, you're not going to get me in this car today. It's just not going to happen. And they don't believe you. I found that when I tell someone, 
can I talk to you about the extended warranty? I say immediately, I say, listen, you can talk to me about the extended warranty. You can talk to me about the extra insurance. You can talk to me about all that, and I'll listen. I'll listen to your whole spiel. I'm not going to buy it. And they'll do it anyway. Do you know why they'll do it anyway? Because they can talk most people into it. And they think eventually, they use enough words, they wear you down, maybe they get you exhausted, get you a Coke. They give you free Coke. They think they can get you going, right? you got to be the kind of person who can say no to just about anything. If it's a good deal today, it'll be a good deal tomorrow. Or it won't be. But I didn't have to have it. That was good advice. And then I started using that when people would challenge me that I needed to act on some issue or something. And they'd say, we got to do something about this, Phil. This is going to be an emergency. Don't you know this problem and that problem? And I'll go, I think that'll wait. Let's see what happens. Now, of course, there are emergencies. Some things, you know, if you're having an arterial bleed, you need to go immediately. Don't think about it. Go immediately to the hospital. But I have a, a rule that served me really well. I'm kind of trying to teach wisdom by doing this. I don't know if it works. I've got a rule. I, if I don't answer my phone, you leave a message. If it's important, you will leave a message and you'll ask me to call you back. If it's not important, you won't. And I'd never call you back unless you're my mom and dad or my wife or my kids. If you call and don't leave a message, you're not going to get a message. You're not going to get me calling you back. It's not going to happen. We're weeding things out. Because what I've noticed is that people are very eager for you to solve their problems. But sometimes people need to solve their own problems. And if they're given enough time, they will do it. They'll actually do whatever work needs to be done. You give them an assignment, and if they do that, then you'll help them some more. And you give them another assignment, and you, they'll help you help some more. But if you give somebody an assignment, and they say, no, I didn't do that yet, I'm like, well, until you do, we're not going to talk about this anymore. Because every once in a while, what you've got to do is wait, be patient, sow some seeds, think about little things. How do you advance this cause little by little? So here's a little test. How do you get along with other people? If someone says, how would you characterize the way you get along with? Are you easy to get along with? Or are you, um, we'll call it charitably, challenging? Which would you say that you are? He says here that you've got to think about how you interact with other people. And you've got to put that in the front so that it goes out toward, and you think, I'm planning and thinking about what I want this to become. Use your vision to see that through, because where every evil thing is, disorder and chaos exist. If your life is chaos, it's almost always because you're pursuing an agenda that is not God's. What God is, is the God of order and peace. And if your life is chaotic and devoid of the purpose that God's given you is because He's not in charge. You've got to sow these seeds of wisdom. So, obviously there's two different kinds of wisdom. And this misnomer when he says this other wisdom that comes from below, that is sensual and earthly and demonic, that's in juxtaposition to the wisdom of God. And so what you've got to do is kind of see what is the true wisdom? What does it look like? Number one, it's pure. There's integrity there. I don't have to hide anything. I can be transparent. My life, you can investigate, look through it, go through my browser history, 
talk to all the people that I've talked to. That's the kind of wisdom I need to have. My life needs to be lived in such a way that I know I could be on display at any moment. Because I am in heaven. There's a book that's being filled with the things that I'm doing. I need to live in such a way that my wisdom tells me that my, my life is pure. My wisdom should not antagonize people. I need to think about how I'm going to interact with folks and the things that they're going to hear me say and how they're going to hear me say them. What does he say at the very end of this, of this chapter? Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I love what Jesus says about this and James is repeating. We don't just need to be peace lovers. We don't just need to be peacekeepers. We need to be peacemakers. I carry peace in my pocket. I take it with me wherever I go. I try to plant seeds of it and give it to people even when they're being antagonistic. I try to smooth that road out. I will speak last. I'll let them have their peace. Let them get everything out of their system. And then we're going to find out what's going on. Or we could have a fist fight right now. Is that what we want? That seems to be what some people are interested in. They just they want to scrap. They just want to fight. And so sometimes someone will come to me and they'll be all upset and they want to get talking, they want to get shouty and noisy. And I'm like, hey, we can cut right to the fist fight if you want. Let's go outside and you can take a few shots. Let's just go ahead and do it. They're always really surprised that a preacher would say, let's have a fist fight. <laughs> and I'm not really genuinely interested in having a fist fight. I'm just saying if this is where we're going, you're at like DEFCON 2, man. There's only one level before we get the nukes flying back and forth. Let's pull back a second and calm down. What is this about? What do you really want? What is the problem? How can we get to the heart of this and quit putting a band-aid on these arterial bleeds that keep happening? So as a result of that, let me give you some practical things. When someone's down, don't pile on them. When someone's having a hard day, don't give them the business. Just let whatever other people are doing be enough. Don't antagonize people with language like, you always or you never, those absolutes are just ridiculous. Nobody always or never does anything. And you're just winding things up. Thirdly, once that person starts repeating what they just said to you, you're done. Do not let that continue. How do you make peace? I'll tell you how you make peace is you quit fighting. Quit putting gas on a fire that's already enraged. And what happens is we feel like we have to make our point. I have to make my point. And what happens is you start talking and I start talking. What I'm waiting for is for the noise that's coming out of your face to stop so I know it's my turn to make noise because my noise makes more sense than your noise. Now, when you stop, I'm going to say, yes, but. And then I'm going to say it and then I will probably say it again. Because I don't think you get it. I say, yeah, but aren't you listening? What I said was, the moment one buddy, one buddy, one, one person, one somebody, the moment somebody repeats themselves, it's time to stop. Quit arguing about whatever that is. Does that make sense to you all? We antagonize each other a lot just by repeating and talking in those grand general statements. Don't talk over people. Don't jump ahead. Don't reach conclusions before someone else reaches them. Let them tell you what they're actually thinking. Do you know what I'm teaching you how to do? How to have a good fight. If you have to have a fight, make sure it concludes. Make sure it actually ends. The wisdom that comes from above, this true wisdom, he says it's considerate. 
The New American Standard says it's willing to yield, it's gentle, it's reasonable, it's open to reason. The Revised Standard Version says it's mindful of other people's thoughts and their feelings. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with them. But to be mindful of what the other person is saying and how they feel and understanding where they're coming from is the difference between you having a discussion and you having a terrible fight with that person. Can you yield? A wise man once told me early on in my marriage, he said, Phil, what you need to know about being happy in marriage is this. Sometimes you get to be happy. Other times you get to be right. When you decide which you want the worst, you'll decide what kind of marriage you're going to have. You ever watched a couple who just decided, each of them had decided they have to be right? And if it kills everybody in the vicinity, we're going to have this out and I'm going to be right. I've just come to the conclusion, I prefer happiness to being right every day. If my wife says something that's wrong, I'm sure she'll work it out eventually. She's a smart girl. We're just going to be happy. Now, I don't want her to lose her soul. I'm not going to let something like that happen. But at the same time, we've got to give up being right to the satisfaction of our result. What is it that God's trying to get out of this circumstance? And finally, he says, this wisdom is forgiving. It's kind. It's full of mercy and good fruit. When people make mistakes, are you willing to forget those mistakes? Or are you always there with a quick reminder just in case they forgot how bad they were? What a terrible thing they did. The whole world is filled with judgmental people. There will always be somebody who's going to try to distribute justice. There's always going to be somebody like that. Do you have to be just? Do you have to be the person who's the distributor of what's right? Or do you get to be a forgiver? You get to be kind. This, he says, is wisdom. Now, if you don't want to be wise, don't. Don't do that stuff. If you'd rather be right than be wise, go ahead. You'll be right right up until you're dead. And then you'll be in trouble. I'd much rather be happy in heaven and admit to everybody, I was wrong about so many things. <laughs> I lost so many arguments down there. I lost a lot. I lost most of them towards the end. I was just addled. I <laughs> didn't even know hardly what I was talking about. Lost every argument I was in. But here I am, full and whole in the rest, the haven for all of God's saints. Here I am. Now, where, where do you want to go? What do you want? What do you want more than anything? Isn't that what you want? What do you want for your kids, grandkids? What do you want for your friends? Don't you want them to go to heaven? Wisdom, friends. It's not just this is how to have a good life. This is how to help people get to heaven. Wisdom. The God who's offering heaven is offering this advice. We'd be fools not to take it. How am I going to be more mature? I'm going to get my tongue under control. I'm going to stop fussing and feuding and arguing about things that don't matter. I'm going to, I'm going to stop being careless. I'm going to think twice. I'm not going to speak so quickly. I'm going to let peace rule. 
I'm going to let kindness be the judge. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. These are the things that help me advance into maturity. So I hope maybe that's been helpful to you tonight. But of course, the whole point is that we all get to heaven. If there's somebody here who's not ready to go to heaven, we want to help you get that way. Do you believe Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that He came here by God's behest to fulfill the Scripture and to die and be buried and raised on the third day so that you might call Him Lord and you might walk with Him in white because you've been baptized into His death. You've touched that thing that could save you. Now you're with His family. If you've never done that, we'd like to help you do that. If you have done that and now you're off the path, we'd recommend that you get back with it. Can we encourage you to do that? Whatever you need might be. Why don't you come right now as we stand and sing.